I'm Coach Tarek. And I'm Vanessa. We are your movement experts and we are here to educate health and fitness professionals with the tools to create real change for and within the industry. Hello, you wonderful human, and welcome to episode 17 of Purpose Driven Movement. I am so excited to bring you our guest this week. I wanted to tell you a little bit of a story before we get into who he is. When I was maybe within my first couple of years of the fitness industry, I was lucky enough to get a job as group exercise manager at Virgin Active. I say lucky, (laughs) it was a challenging job. So the first six months in, I've got 250 classes on the timetable, 70 contractors who work under myself, who I deal with on a monthly basis. And it was just a lot. So the first six months was just figuring out what on earth was happening in that space. And then the next six months was me really just disliking the chaos, the repetitiveness and the the way that I felt doing this job. And it's not the job that people who do that job, I have immense respect for you doing this job. It is so hard and it is often one of the least awarded jobs in our industry, 100%. So I was struggling with where I wanted to go. I felt like losing that role was like a step back in my career. I was going from management and then just going back to becoming a PT. Who wanted to become just a PT again after doing that? So I was lucky enough to go to a PTA Global Mentorship where I got to meet Rodney Korn for the first time. He changed my life for the better. Being able to talk to Rodney again on this podcast after I haven't spoken to him in so many years just really feels like coming home and being reminded of such a prolific event in my career. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that those events can happen at any stage in your career and they often happen when you're at your most challenged or sometimes they happen when you're at your best and and they change your life in a completely different direction that you didn't realize that you wanted to go down. And people like Rodney who have such a vast experience and so much to give are the type of people that we should be following. And I wholeheartedly believe that it is up to us at at PDM to bring you these people who may not be so prolific on social media, but who we know to be immensely prolific and influential and life-changing when it comes to the quality of education and inspiration that they can give fitness professionals or even just fitness enthusiasts. So I really hope that you get a lot out of this episode this week. Doesn't matter who you are, what background you come from, there is definitely something to learn from Rodney. Just a quick reminder that we would absolutely love for you to share away on our social media or on your social media. Give us a rate on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you listen to your podcast. It means so much to us, but it also helps us to grow. And again, if you have guests that you would like us to reach out to, or if you want us to reach out to you to interview you for the podcast, we are more than happy to hear from you. Please reach out again on our socials or on our EDM. If you aren't receiving our EDM, please go to functionaltraininginstitute.com and sign up. Without further ado, here is this week's episode. Enjoy. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Purpose Driven Movement. And I'm really excited to introduce you to our guest, Rodney Korn. Welcome. 
As you heard from the introduction, he's had a stellar career in our industry. So I've been lucky enough to have Rodney as a mentor, as an educator for myself. So when he said yes to coming on to the podcast, I jumped at it because I think everyone should hear education from your mouth. I think you have a lot to say and it's well worth listening. I appreciate that. I definitely have a lot to say. (laughs) Don't know if it's always good, but it's always a lot. Awesome. All right. Well, let's get started. First question. When I asked you about what you wanted to talk about on the pod, you said recovery. So what does recovery mean? Yeah, I think that's the the million dollar question because I think it means a lot to different people. And as we move into this time period where recovery has exploded and because you went through PTA Global, we've been doing this for over a decade now. I mean, we started this in 2008 and started putting everything together. So it's been 15 years that we've been actually talking about recovery and readiness and how to get the body prepared to do what you want us to do in order so it doesn't continue to break down and increase the risk of injury. So for most people, recovery is when we don't do something. And I think that's extremely incomplete. So when we talk about recovery, it's either a specific application that we're going to use on the body. The big things right now are the cold plunges, hot plunge, cold plunge, massage tools. All of these things can promote recovery strategies in the body. But that in and of itself isn't recovery. Just because you do that does not mean you recover. It just means you did something that could promote recovery. So when we're talking about recovery, it's really far more complicated and complex, but it's still very simple. Re- recovery is a constant dance between what the body is being put under, the stressors it's being put under, and its ability to meet the challenge of those stressors. That's the recovery process. It never ends. It's never, it, does, it doesn't start when you finish a workout. It doesn't start at the end of your day. It is ongoing all the time. And I always call it a dance. It, it's an autonomic nervous system dance. It's your parasympathetic nervous system dancing with your sympathetic nervous system because they have to go back and forth to meet the challenges of the day. It's how how well you manage the stressors that are coming, the incoming stretches, which was the whole reason and the whole purpose behind the daily readiness observation that we used at PTA Global, which now at Aleco we call it the raw score. It's readiness and well-being score. So what we're ultimately trying to do is all the stressors of our body will create a stress response. And when I say stressors, that means everything. Every, everything that every sense in your body can feel, which is 24-7. It never stops. Everything you hear, everything you see, everything you feel, everything you taste, everything that's going on through the body, electromagnetic fields, everything you don't feel, everything you don't see, everything you don't hear, that's all a stressor. And that will create a stress response. So the body is constantly trying to balance that out. And when we talk about a stress response, that affects the immune system. And the immune system releases agents that promote inflammation. So the stress and recovery response is all about, are we allowing and completing the inflammation cycle? Because we need inflammation, especially when we're training and doing We need the inflammation because that's how our immune system wards off any type of issue or begins the repair cycle. 
So recovery has a repairing process involved in it, but it has to complete that uh, inflammation cycle. If we cut it too short or we extend it too long, then we interfere with the repair cycle. So that's what ultimately we're talking about. We're talking about recovery. Recovery is a constant process of making sure that we're balancing out the stressors and completing any inflammation cycle that we have to allow it to finish so that we can then repair and the idea is that we become a step better than we were prior to that. Regardless of where we started, we're a step better than where we were before. Yeah. I really like your analogy of it being a dance, just because obviously I'm a dancer and <laughs> it really works in my head. We have this concept in the industry that recovery is something that you have to kind of attain. It's like a it's an external tangible kind of thing, right? And I, I like the internalization that you've created there. Now, when we, when we think about stresses and we talked about a daily readiness or you called it raw, are you happy to maybe just dive a little bit deeper into some of the things that affect how ready we are to face the day and then how ready we are to maybe train or add stress on top of that? Yeah. And, and in simplistic form, so first off, we use, which we did at PTA Global, the daily readiness, and now we use raw at Aleco, is an, a, a subjective questionnaire. And the subjective questionnaire is validated through science as correlating to the performance level that you're going to achieve, which also correlates to the cortisol levels, basically, in, in form or fashion. Not that cortisol is bad, but too much for extended periods of time is. So we break it down into four primary pillars at Aleco, and we're looking at number one, sleep. Sleep is massive. So sleep is one of your primary recovery tools and how you sleep will let you know how ready or how recovered your body actually is. If you're not sleeping good, that means that your body is not processing the stress. You're not managing it very well. So sleep is one. We go into the physical attributes, your soreness, your tightness, your achiness, all of that is going into the physical pillar. Uh, the more sore, tight, and I use that word tight, which is a whole other conversation, that all it indicates that there's inflammation in the system. And then we get into your mood. So what is your mood? Are you kind of feeling vivacious? Do you have vitality? Do you feel just kind of mm, even keel? Or is it a little bit blah? So it's thumbs down, thumbs sideways, thumbs up. Where are you? Because that's an indication of your stressors. When your attitudes and your moods and all, all those start to go south, that's when we know that there's stress in the system because it's not able to process what, what we're trying to do from a mental standpoint. And then we also look at nutrition, hydration. We kind of combine that together. What is your food intake? What's the timing of it? What's the quality of it? Um, and then as well as the hydration, what is your liquid, the quality of the liquid, and then the timing of the liquid as you take a sip very well. So those are the fake four main, main, main pillars. And then we score that on a one to three, each one of those pillars gets a score of one to three, and you have a total score of 12 out of 12 is you're perfect. Four out of 12 means you're really hurting. So I, I've always loved the score, and it's something that I've adopted. I always use it with my clients. How much emphasis or reliability do you place on wearables that are giving you a daily readiness score or, or a you know stress recovery kind of score? Like, do you, What do you think of those? Yeah, so great question because that was a process when, when I was at PTA Global, that was a process that I did on myself. So at the time, this was old school. 
So there was Polar, there was Omega Wave, and then there was iFleet, who was out of the UK. So these were, which we were working actually at PTA Global, we were working on our own app that was from iFleet. So I had these, these three different applications. Omega Wave was kind of like the forerunner to Whoop, which I have now used with Whoop because I've had many clients who have a Whoop. And so I've used the raw score with those people and I found the same thing. So let me break this down. Typically, especially nowadays, things like Whoop and oh, back then it was Omega Wave, there's two ways that they collect data. One, the data is collected specific to you. The other data is collected and is pooled into this large pool of numbers. And then you're basically placed relative to the pool of numbers. So even though it's coming from you, it's not necessarily specific to you and only you over time. So when I did this um, over, a, I forget how many weeks and months that I did this over with those three, Polar, which had their heart rate variability built into their, their heart rate monitor, the Omega Wave and the iFleet, I found that iFleet, which is only specific to you, their, their data does not get pooled iFleet and the raw score were always almost identical to the T. So when I, when I felt like I was a four to six, it would show me as a, as a low heart rate variability. When I was a seven to nine, it would show me the moderate. And when I was a 10 to 12, it would show me as a, as a high heart rate variability. So I mean, as I was ready to roll. Omega wave always had me higher than I was on me, I should say always, I should say it was, I think it was about 60% of the time it was higher than what I was rating myself when I woke up. And the, the issue with that, and it's not that these are bad, and this, this is what I found with Whoop, by the way. Whoop would, on, on, on an average over time, like a stock market, on average, it would rate higher than the person that the people were. And this were multiple people, it wasn't just one person. The concern with that and this in no way, shape, or form is uh, any derogatory remarks against them. I'm just trying to be real and honest. The concern with that is if you train to that level, you're training above what your body is saying that it's capable of doing right now. And when you do that for prolonged periods of time, you're putting more stress into the system than it can handle. So if you think of yourself as having a bucket, and I can only hold so much water in that bucket, and when I come in to train, my bucket is already X amount full based upon my score. Low score means I have a ton of water in it. Moderate score is moderate and a very high score for a raw score. We mean I have low water. It means I can do a lot of stuff. If I come in and I'm feeling low, but it says I'm high, so my bucket is actually moderate to high filled, which means I only have a little bit of space for some extra stress. And I train at a, at a lower level, meaning my bucket is low because that's what the, 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 the ticket wearable told me I was, I'm dumping constantly on average more stress into my system. What that means is that you've increased your risk for illness, you've increased your risk for injury over time, and it's also going to change your mood and your mental capacity. So it's not just your physical body, it's your mental body. So if you look at someone who's a business person, that's going to change how you potentially make decisions because your cognitive function is going to decrease. So there's all these parameters that go into that. So what I find is it's not how cool the tool is. It's how is that data collected? Where's that data going? And what is it reading and showing me personally? And that's where I find from a coaching standpoint, I find with clients, 
if I can ascertain their raw score, and you said it perfectly, Vanessa, it doesn't have to be numbers, but you have to know what they mean when they say it. If they say, ah, eh, then that means I'm, I'm a two. If it's like, mm, I'm, that's what I've done with a lot, some of my clients. I had, I had a bunch of older clients that I was working with for a long period of time. And I'd say, give me a thumbs down, thumbs, thumbs level, or thumbs up. How do you feel today on each one of these pillars? When you find that, and then as a coach, if you have a good coaching eye to where you can see when they tell me they feel blah, they're showing me they feel pretty, pretty blah. When they tell me they feel good, they're showing me that they feel good. And that's what you have to match. You have to match what they say to what you see as a coach and put those two together. I find that that is as, as accurate as most of the data that I've seen or been able to collect. And that's, that's just being honest. And that's dozens and hundreds of people that I've seen over the last 15 years using this particular process. Yeah, that's really cool. I second what you say 100% because I've worn them all. And they're really interesting and they're really useful, I think, in general. However, the reliance that is sometimes placed and the obsessiveness that can come from checking your score and checking my sleep and, and all of the associated behaviors that you then log while using these wearables can also become a problem and a stressor in its own, in its own right. So that's why I think it's so important as a coach to ask the questions. And the more you work with your clients, the more you can see, like, is their thumbs up actually correlating to a thumbs up in their body? And, and you watch them through their session and they're like lagging and they can't do things. Maybe their mood's a thumbs up and they so they feel better than they are, but their body's not really a thumbs up. So you can adjust as you go. I just think that there's so much potential for the people who like data and who enjoy those wearables for it to become negative in its own right. Yeah. And, and Vanessa, you're, you're, what you're saying is actually vitally important. So anyone that's listening to this, I would, I would encourage you highly to pay attention because what happens is most people will see a tool and then a lot of people will either go on what's the most popular or what's the cheapest. And either way, it's irrelevant. It's what information is that giving me? Because it may not necessarily give you what you actually feel. And so when people who aren't very in tune with their own body, which we should be in tune with our own body, we should know how do I feel today? And just because something that you have on your wrist or on your body somewhere tells you that this is what you feel, if that's not how you feel, then go with your body because your body is more accurate. That's the importance of you as a, as a person who's an, either an enthusiast or a coach, getting your client or getting yourself to be in tune with how you feel will help you far more than any tool can in the long run. And it will decrease your stress level because you don't become addicted to or reliant upon a piece of information. It's like people who are addicted to the scale. Whatever the scale says is what, it, is what it is. Well, how do you look and how do you feel with how do you look, first off? And then didn't use the scale. It's not that technology is bad. And this, this isn't a technology bash session. It's understand what technology should do for you and what it shouldn't do for you. It shouldn't be dictating what you do and how you feel. You should be dictating what you do and how you feel. It should help you on that journey. If it's not doing that and it's driving you, and telling you this is how I feel, and you're like, well, I don't really feel that way, but I'll do that. 
then you're at fault, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think the wearables don't necessarily teach you how to ask those questions, which is why, again, we always come back to that coaching PT sessions. So important. It's just so good for everyone because that's that's the real value of what you can bring to everyday people, even if you're not coaching them for a long, long time. That's such, such a huge positive change that you can make for someone. Yeah, absolutely. If there's coaches listening to this who you work with clients who wear something and you're asking the right questions and what their their wearable tells you is they're they're either better than they should be or they're capable of doing more. There are so many easy ways to get in that. You just extend the rest period a little bit. All you do is change the volume in some form or fashion. That's the easiest way to do it. You can change the volume and that will help decrease what they're doing. You don't have to change any weight. You don't have to change all that stuff. If they like to train heavier, whatever it is, you just change how much of it they do and you'll save that person even though their wearable might say they can do more. Awesome. That's so good. Thank you. I want to ask the naughty question. And I hate using the word should, but I'm going to use it here because it, you know, everyone asks this question. What should, and I say that in quotation marks, everyone be doing for their own recovery? Great question. So the reason why I probably go on the rant and rave about knowing how you feel is because that's where recovery starts. So a lot of people, like we had talked about, recovery isn't, it's not that you have to do something specific. It's not that you have to foam roll or you have to take a cold plunge and you have to go in for red sauna. That can be totally individualistic. Cold plunges won't work for everyone because some people hate cold water, so all it does is stress them out. So it, that's not the issue. The issue is understanding first and foremost that recovery is always going. So at Aleco, we're just, we're in the process of building and we'll be doing a live course in Austin, Texas. So if you want to fly over to go to Austin, Texas. It's called Readiness and Recovery Training. It's a two-day workshop. It'll become an online course later on. And what we're talking about is not all the cool things you can do for a recovery type of stimulus. It's how do I actually know if I'm ready and how do I recover? And that's understanding first and foremost, how do you feel? So that's where the raw score, the raw score is, is, is ground zero. What does my body say that I can do today. From that, then you, you manage and map what you're doing to that. For a training session, if you go into a training session and you have a low raw score, it's a four to six, means you have a lot of stress, then that's where you have to manipulate the acute variables. There's ways to get very specific with it, but you don't have to change what you're doing necessarily. You don't have to necessarily change the load. Again, like I said, you change how much you do. So what everyone should be doing is not running out and spending hundreds and thousands of dollars on tools and gadgets and things. It's you need to start with yourself first. How do you feel from day to day to day? Use those four buckets, figure out wh what your score is, and then based upon that, manage how much you do. That's not the day, if you're low, that's not the day to try to go for a personal best. You're not trying to get a PR in, in your training session that day. It's not the day that you want to go for the longest run you've ever gone for. Those are the days that you want to bring it in a little bit, hone it in and drop the amount of input that you're getting. Uh, and input is everything. How much time you're spending on your phone, 
how much time and how many conversations and how how loud and how all the things the noises are you just hone that in that's the most important thing that everyone should be doing that's not the cool sexy answer but that's the real answer because it doesn't matter if you go and you foam roll your body because foam rolling if someone does too much foam rolling and they're doing it too aggressively that won't recover them that will actually send them into a stressful situation using a, a massage tool that these are awesome but that won't necessarily do the job depending on how much you're doing how intense you're doing and on the day that you're doing it so that's why the the the, the best thing i can say vanessa is the things that everyone should be doing is using some subjective scoring process like we have like oh, the raw score and gauge yourself on a day-to-day -day basis the other thing is you can track that and you can start seeing where do I constantly have an issue? Because it, it, it'll start helping you become aware of yourself, unlike a tool that's telling you, hey, do this, hey, do this. It's like, oh no, I'm, wow, I'm, I've got some stuff that I need to work on. That's the easiest way, and that's a, the, the number one thing that people should do for recovery. Such a great answer to that question. I was really interested to see where you were going to go with it as well, because I hate shooting people, but because it's so open and it's so open. It's not shooting anyone to do anything. It's just getting them to be really in tune with their body, which when we're so disconnected because there's so many distractions, there's so many stresses that are apparent in our lives, it's such a beautiful way to bring it back to simplicity. And unfortunately, that's what we should be doing and we shouldn't have to be told that we should do that. Oh, I love it. That's great. Okay, so you mentioned some polarizing things in there, some foam rolling, some massage guns. I know I'm on the side of the fence that's very useful. They think they're very useful. I love foam rollers. I dislike massage guns for myself personally. I'm putting myself in that very hypermobile human bendy body. That massage gun is like the opposite of recovery for me that so far on the other end of what my body needs when we're looking at recovery tools now what are some things that people can ask themselves to know if they're actually selecting an appropriate one for them sometimes that's a that's a trial and error that's a great question and i think everyone should be asking themselves that question because all of these the, the foam roll the massage guns uh vibration just whole body vibration and how that's used the cold plunges infrared all all the things that are out there those all can promote and have been shown to promote recovery in the body it has to be known that it doesn't mean that it will do that for you in your circumstances i always tell people because i've had people ask this question so many times well which which ones do you think are the best the best ones are the ones that work for you and I can't tell you which ones are going to work for you. Now, I do know from 25 years of experience with foam rolling done properly, it will work for just about everybody, but it has to be done properly for them. Not everyone can do it on the floor, so we're going to have to do it standing up. And this is where Feel Soma comes in. So with Ian and you talked about, go to feelsoma.com. And we built a process, and Ian has got this thing just rolling now where we have a fantastic way of showing people how to foam roll and not just it's not just foam rolling uh it goes back into 
what position the foam rollers in relative to your body, what positions your body in relative to space, all those different things. So that does work. The massage guns can definitely work. Now, the issue is it all comes back to the amplitude of the vibration because amplitude is how much pounding is going to happen. Uh, I bring this one up, um, not because I'm a marketing agent or anything, but this particular one is the best one I've ever used because it's a very low amplitude and it doesn't move very much and it feels very gentle on the body. It just hums. And when you put it on the, on the skin, you're not supposed to jab it into your tissues as deep as you possibly can. Some people can handle that depending on their tissue, depending on their stress level, depending on their age. But just so everybody knows, the more force you place on the body, whether it's a foam roll, whether it's a vibration tool, whether it's the stretching that you do, the more force means how, how intense you do that is still stress to the body. So if you're super stressed and you go get something and it just pound and pound and pound and pound it, it might feel good and it can create circulation, but it can also create more stress to the tissue that's going to take it longer to potentially heal than not. So these are all the ins and outs that we have to uh, gauge and be aware of as far as that. Because in reality, Vanessa, none of them are bad or wrong. It's who's using it. When are you using it and how are you using it? That's going to determine whether or not it's actually going to be bad or wrong for you. Yeah. And I, I love the nuance of this because it's, you know, you see it everywhere on social media, the best thing you can do for your recovery or the, the things that I do for my recovery and the trainers promoting it as if because they do it for them, it's going to do it for everybody. I find those conversations so polarizing because like you said, it's so nuanced if you even just look at the differences between you and I, they're like structurally different, you know? Absolutely. And, and you, know, you know, you brought up something, you said something that I think is the, the biggest question that people aren't answering is, how do you know you recovered? They say, oh, I do this and it's just awesome. It's okay. How do you know that you're recovered? What do you do on a daily basis from day to day to day to assess your recovery? Uh-huh. And you ask that question, oh, it's, just, it's just how I feel. Well, how do you gauge how you feel? Because the subjective questionnaire goes through, well, I can check my sleep. I can check my physical body, my aches and pains. I can check my mood and I can check my hydration nutrition. That's one part. But also, what is your range of motion? Has your range of motion changed? Are you able to hold positions better? All, is your stability, mobility better? Because mobility and stability are actually the same thing. They just use two different words for it. Although, has that changed at all? So people aren't, aren't actually telling you how they're assessing their recovery. They may use a whoop, but that, doesn't, that just saying that your, your readiness based upon that has changed or is elevated. But how, how do you know physically when you move that you're recovered? Because one of the other things with what, what we'll be talking about in our recovery, I mentioned inflammation. Well, inflammation if it's prolonged, has an effect on your muscular tissue, on your type 1 muscle fibers, where it can actually shut them down. And if they're shut down, you can still move as good, but you no longer have the proper timing, which means that your joints aren't stable as you move, which means even though you can still be strong, you can be broken. And then that's where all of a sudden these little aches and pains creep up. So this is where if you don't know how to monitor that, you don't know how to check for that, then you can tell people you recovered all you want to, but you don't really know. You're just 
you're just assuming that because you use this cool tool that you saw this athlete use, or you heard that person use, who's got a million followers on Instagram, that you're recovered too. That it doesn't happen that way. The body doesn't work like that. Yeah. I think it's so important to, for people to understand that to understand your body, you need to have an ability to quantify something that's repeatable and a little bit measurable. And that's why the wearables are, are useful to a certain point, but they're not specific enough to an individual, which is what you're saying is have the questionnaire, have the insight, the self-insight to be able to ask you the specific questions because I might be half recovered. Mentally, I feel really good. Physically, I really good, but I slept shit and I haven't drank enough water. So how can I adjust that? And then the next week, it might be the other way around, right? Now, I would love to chat to you a little bit about Aliko and the Soma and NASM and you have had a, such an interesting kind of, I would almost, it's not really a 180, but some really interesting careers throughout the industry. For people listening who don't know much about NASM, could you tell us what you did there and then how you brought yourself into Aleco and doing what you're doing now? Yeah. So the, the very quick version of all this is what I knew about the industry, the fitness industry, is they had zero programming. There was no such thing as any type of periodization model whatsoever in the industry. So people just trained this and they did, you know, do eight exercises, 10 reps of each one and do two to three sets. It's like, well, that doesn't, that doesn't cut it. So I was trying to put this together and bring in all this stability stuff and all of these different components of training because there's different styles of training to do things. So I was trying to do that. Met Mike Clark at a conference. He had the whole OPT model back then. Not exactly the way we had it at NESM. We did some modifications to it, but basically the same thing. So I was like, why would I create the wheel when the wheel's right in front of me? So I convinced Neil Spruce to hire Mike Clark and I stepped back, let Mike run the thing. I just built all the stuff. So what I, my job at NESM was I basically built the CPT from the, the information Mike had, but then I had to shape it and mold it to make it usable for the end user, for us as coaches and trainers, make it very organized step-by-step -step process. So I built the CPT and then I built the CES under Mike's guidance. He said, here's these four buckets, let's fill it in and do all that. So I was the one that kind of put that all together. I got to a point where I, I just realized it was kind of time to leave. And that's where within about a year or so, I ended up with PTA Global. And then after the PTA Global journey, Ian and I got together and put together the Field Soma, uh, which is, I, I cannot promote that enough. We, we set out to do something that nobody's done. It's how can we make a variety of things that are potentially complicated, very simple, very structured, and very easy to use for yourself. And then so you can get reproducible results. We wanted to make it very simple for people. And I believe it is probably as simple as anything out there. It's not complicated. After being there for two years and doing all the things, I got a call out of the blue from this Aleco company. They said, would you be willing to do it? I said, yes. I had no idea what I was getting into. Four and a half years later, that's where we are. It's been a fantastic journey because it's helped me really dive into areas that I probably wouldn't have dove into uh, if I wouldn't have been here. But it's allowed me to use all of my experience up until this point, all the 20 years of experience I had coming into this to specifically now address uh, another area of the industry that needs a lot of help as well. So for people's context, let me put this into perspective. NASM is kind of traditional strength and conditioning. Yeah, NASM is basically for the personal trainer. They do have a performance 
certification performance enhancement specialist. I don't know if they changed the name, uh, which I did write the weightlifting chapter for their new book on that. They're basically for the, the personal training coach, so to speak. Works more predominantly with the everyday population. PTA Global was very, very similar. Aleco, what we do is we provide education that's around powerlifting, weightlifting, CrossFit-esque functional training, and then tactical training with the, the first responder. Yeah, we, we do a lot of stuff in the military, but with the first responders, but that tactical training course that we have, it actually works as a great level two certification for personal trainers because it has a lot of mental resiliency and mental component into it, which a lot of personal training certifications don't really have. So that's kind of the journey from this more of the general pop. This is still general population, but it's a little bit more specific to strength training. So it's, it's a, our company, obviously, Laco, it's barbells, plates, racks, rigs, kettlebells, dumbbells. So it's a lot of free weight. That's predominantly what we do. We don't do any machines. Yeah, I love the way that you have been able to transition between these kind of different segments of the industry. You talk about weightlifting and powerlifting. And then if we, like, I look back to PTA, there was a lot of three-dimensional and I, I'd say weird movements because, you know, like they're not that weird, but they're not conventional, they're non-traditional. And I don't know many people in the industry who have tapped into both sides of those spectrums on the industry. They seem to be separate for whatever reason. And I'm with you. I think that they are way more closely intertwined than we want to give them credit for. What would you say to people who are really just kind of one-sided in their own lane for someone like yourself who has been across so much? What's the benefit of that? Well, the benefit is the human body loves variation. So the human body loves variety. And, and, and even, you know, what's interesting is I found looking at powerlifters. So powerlifters focus on three major lifts, squat, deadlift, and a bench press. And it's as heavy as you can go. That's, that's the ultimate goal, if you're, especially if you're competing. But if you listen to some of the, the best powerlifters talk, what they'll tell you is when you're starting out, so there's kind of a pyramid of your progression in programming. When you start out, you should create variety. You should try a lot of different things. Now, they won't necessarily get funky weird with some of the stuff. They wouldn't grab a Viper and start doing some three-dimensional loading. They, they wouldn't necessarily do that. But what they're saying is accurate. They're saying that you want to create a base where you have a good variety. And then as you're starting to get, especially if you're competing, you start to hone in on, okay, now I'm going to get a little bit more specific. And then when I get to the top of my game, I have to be real specific. A specificity does matter. Doesn't mean that you can't do other things, but the farther you're away from your specific lift, the less you're going to have of that. And when you're talking about two kilos is the difference between winning and losing, then you got to be as specific as possible. So it all relates because it's the human body and the human body loves to be able to move. So all of it works because we can train isolation and we can train in integration because the body will do both. We can train more subconscious where we're not necessarily thinking about it. And we can train very conscious where we're specifically thinking about it because the body can do both. So we don't have to choose one or the other. It really comes down to what we talked about. What was the biggest promotion of PTA Global is what is your style? And if you don't know what your style is, you might want to find that out. Yeah. I love the, the way that you talked about that inverse relationship because I think we miss that is gen pop is usually the, the, we can have the most variety because we don't need to be that specific. And when you're looking at an athletic level, you want to be training the thing that you do again and again and again and again. It's the only way you get better at it. And 
if people just want to be fit and healthy and functional for life, there's so much that you can include in there. So what I will ask you is a question that I ask to everyone who comes on the podcast. If you could change one thing about the fitness industry right now with no consequences, what would it be? That is a great question. If I could change one thing in the fitness industry that I think would do the most benefit for every person, for all of us, would be the desire to have more complete understanding of who we are, which goes back to what we were talking about. Do you take your raw score on a daily basis? If, if the fitness industry could not be so outwardly focused and trying to get information from every single person, which I, I understand why. So there's probably, that's probably a tangent thing I'd like to change, but is start with yourself. How do you feel from day to day? What do you like to do and what do you not like to do? And if you don't know, try, like you said, if you've never done some weird things with a TRX or a Viper or kettlebell or something, try it a little bit. See what it feels like. You might be surprised. So maybe to do things slightly different to your ability level, not to somebody else's ability level. The other thing I wish, because it has to go hand in hand with a tangent, is I wish that the people who had the most influence in social media would actually slow down a little bit and go search out information and research information and not just do a lot of bro science. We got a lot of bro science that, you know, this is what I was told and this is what I think. Get a little bit of background. If you're going to have that much influence and you're going to do stuff and you really want to help people, Ian and I have such a passion to help people do things that they didn't think they could do or do them better than they thought they could do them. And because of that, we hold ourselves accountable to what we say, knowing that everything that we say may not be totally true, but we're going to find out what wasn't and what, what is. And if everyone had a similar process to that, where they're really trying to figure out, is that really the way it is? Is there, are there other viewpoints and what are the other viewpoints? So one of the things that I'm glad I've done, though it's been painstaking, is look at a variety of people and a variety of information, but then I got to go back to what the research says. And then I go back to what I do. How is all of that fit? And does it make sense? And how does it work? You should be held accountable for what you're saying to those people so that you're actually helping them and realize that there's a progression. Just because you have this really cool exercise that works your glutes very well does not mean that everybody can do it and everybody should do it. So preference that. I, I love what you said. I think the accountability starts with us and, and knowing yourself as a coach and as a trainer and knowing, you know, what you want to learn. And, and when you start to learn more, you always realize how much you don't know and how much more you've got to learn. And people who stop learning, it's almost like they're so closed off to possibility that, like you said, they have so much influence over other people and they just continue to give information without receiving and without being introspective as well. So I love that. That's such a great answer. And I brought that up because that was my journey. So when I was at NESM, we learned a methodology and we kind of taught that was the way to do something. That was part of the reason why I ended up leaving because I just knew that there was other things. There was some incompleteness in what we were teaching. 
So I went out and what I did for the next few years is just absorb information and just learn. There was, I mean, it was such a vast growth that it was like, that's kind of what I thought was out there. And by no means do I know half of what is even out there. But the key is, is that there's so much. And when you hear it, what you'll find is that a lot of it works and most things can work, but you have to figure out when does it work and when doesn't it work and when is it good and when is it not good for somebody. And I think that's where we're, we're lacking. Love it. Yeah. So many gems in this conversation. I, I appreciate you and your time. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. Is there anywhere specific that you want to lead uh, any coaches or fitness enthusiasts to? I had a look at the Alico website. So much on there for, for free and also paid. So I could start there. Is there anything else you want to add? The, the Alaco education page, alaco.com backslash education. That's, that's a great place to start. That's it. Instagram, you have the, my Instagram channel and all that stuff. I'm also on Facebook and I spend some time on LinkedIn as well. So a lot of times I'll, I'll post things on LinkedIn if anybody's in there as well. Yeah, I will have all of that in the show notes for everyone. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. We are so grateful for your support and for tuning in to our podcast. We know that many of you have friends or colleagues who would also benefit from our content and we would be honored if you could share our podcast with them. Sharing on social media, email, or even talking about us to a colleague is such a huge help in getting our message out there. We truly appreciate your support and we can't wait to continue to grow and connect with more people through our podcast.